My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. seem particularly triggered right now. Can you tell me what happened? I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. Am I crazy? We don't use that word in here. Hello, hello, and welcome to the post-credit pod, Eric. We've had a good run of episodes recently. Not that our Marvel-specific episodes aren't great, because they're always fun. I love digging in to specific movies and episodes. But lately, we've had to do it without the weekly episodic breakdown. So we've had to get creative with the topics. And I've had a lot of fun playing some of these games that you've cooked up. Listen, nobody likes the MCU. Actually, that's not true. I'm sure there are much bigger fans of the MCU out there than me. But (laughs) I do say to you and a lot on the show, after a while, talking about it week in and week out gets old. But yeah. I, you and I put out a tweet last night. I, it was a joke tweet, which are what most of my tweets are. <laughs> but it was, it was ranking films coming out that I'm most hyped about. And then I, I'm not sure if you saw this tweet. I just put the Batman and the list stopped <laughs> there. But, but I had actually like wrote out a list of what's coming out in the next six months. And mainly on like the blockbuster tier of things there's variety there is probably at least 15 15 to 20 films that i'm hyped for in the next six months alone so 2022 is stacked yeah we're gonna be eating oh absolutely and speaking of eating today our main topic will be breaking down the every nook and cranny of the matrix resurrection trailer throwing out some thoughts some observations some theories we're obviously going to hit a little bit on what if after episode i believe it was four correct no this was five no, this sorry five. this episode five and first we're going to start it all off with a little bit of news and quick hitters as always how's that sound to you eric since you've been uh, doing this for it, more than a year now yeah right we're getting <laughs> old in front of our eyes So just to start, we do want to do a little tribute to Michael K. Williams, who unfortunately passed. He is star of such great TV shows as The Wire and uh, Boardwalk Empire. He most recently starred in Lovecraft Country. He's had a dozen film roles. He unfortunately passed away uh, last week at 54. Just, you know, a a huge presence that leaves behind a huge void, sadly. And, And certainly a definitive character as Omar Little right up there with Tony Soprano. Yeah, I, of course like the jackass I am, have yet to watch The Wire. That is going to change soon. Yeah, you got it. But even still, I was aware of his character, like the way that the character bled into pop culture at large. That takes a certain type of performance. You know, the way that you put The Wire on the same scale as The Sopranos. I would say his performance has bled into culture as much as some of the greatest TV characters of all time. You see, like, even if you've never watched the show, you understand the context of Omar coming, you know? And yeah. that is and that is a ubiquitous status that not many people achieve. Now, that's not to say I don't know his work at large because he would pop up in things and always steal the screen, but I just think to have a character that definitive that somebody who's never seen the show could understand the gravity of him is just an incredible thing. And he absolutely. Huge loss. R.I.P. Michael K. Williams. Uh, Moving on. Shang-Chi set Labor Day weekend opening records with more than $74 million in the three-day opening and $94 million over the four-day weekend. Now, Eric, quickly, just so everyone understands, 
Labor Day weekend traditionally is a dumping ground for Hollywood. Mm. It's where they push out films that they know are problematic. It's mostly used as a weekend for audiences to catch up on late summer films they might have missed. That's so for Shang-Chi well, to- uh, The previous record holder was 2007's yep. Halloween, which I didn't even know existed. A. B. I think its total take was like $30 million. Yeah. Shang-Chi crushed records. Crushed, and, yeah. And like you said, there's a reason why the previous record stood for 14 years because it's not a hot weekend. So not only did Marvel completely rewrite the script on what expectations could be for a Labor Day weekend premiere, it also sent a huge message to the rest of the film industry who isn't Marvel Studios saying, hey, maybe we do have a little bit of optimism and confidence. Hey, sack up. Yeah, in our upcoming slate of (laughs) ten Sack up. So I, I think had it not succeeded, had it underperformed, you would have seen a rash of additional release date delays now that it knocked it out of the park and put up together the fifth biggest Labor Day weekend ever in box office history in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. I think we're probably good to go on the release date front. You know, I don't think anyone else is moving. The proof is in the pudding when it comes to Venom. Correct. Sony, Sony and you know what? I like to rip on Sony because of the whole thing with Spider-Man and getting hacked by Korea and all that shit. And now they've renamed the Spider-Man universe. Yeah, just all the just all the funny things they do. But I will admit that in terms of the pandemic, they have been somewhat shrewd and like putting their hands up and being like, we're doing this shit on the fly, kind of. So I appreciate them being like, you know what? We were wrong. We're moving that shit back up which I think that in and of itself confirmed that, yeah, for the next four months, granted in the world that we live in, anything could go wrong at any time that fucks us yeah. all up. But right Barring now, unforeseen changes. Yeah. But right now it seems like we're locked in, which is, as I said at the top of the show, fantastic because the slate for the next three, four, six months is incredible. Importantly, I think Shang-Chi's success also cements Eternals in its place. So probably not a hybrid release, probably not a delay, barring unforeseen changes. Well, so I saw I saw I think it was a piece in Variety that argued, yes, this is a great take for Marvel. But will they just think, well, we could have made more if we put it on Disney Plus, too? It's an unbelievable, wide open debate that we'll have to talk about. I personally see it having better legs than Black Widow, but we'll see. We'll see all things considered at the end of the run. Yeah. All right, another movie I am extremely excited about, where both of us are, really, is Dune, which finally premiered at the Venice Film Festival, Mm -hmm. uh, I think late last week, early this week, and reactions, for the most part, pretty darn stellar. I believe it's at 86% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. I'd have to double check. But it's, you know, it's in that mid to high 80s range. So we're looking pretty damn good for another Denis Villeneuve blockbuster. Have you really, good in terms of how much you and I are going to enjoy it and good in terms of is it going to succeed or not one in in the Entirely different topics, yes. And reactions that have come out so far have me concerned for how it's going to do mainstream. And because they were more appreciative of the filmmaking feats right you know like we are able to name check the director and know and love his work but the average moviegoer probably isn't all that aware of who he is so all of these things that he's pulling off oh wow he uh the world building or the world building in terms of lore and like the actual world building like how the sets look and all that stuff but there are complaints that like i've seen it's a little slow There's no real ending because it's setting itself up for part two. These are the type of things that can make a mainstream audience not enjoy it. 
you know, if it, if they're an hour in to a two hour and 20 minute odd grand sci-fi film, and there's been no peel your cap back set piece because he's saving that all for the last 45 minutes. That's a problem. While the reactions made me feel good about how the professionals in the space are going to feel about it. And I'm not saying either one is right. I'm just looking at it from the point of view of how do we get Dune 2 into this world? The initial, the verbiage that critics have used are the type of things that I find, you know what I mean? Like if I showed my my dad Blade Runner 2049, he'd be like boring. (laughs) So that is, and so that is kind of what worries me is the praise felt unique to those who appreciate granular filmmaking more so than I want to go eat popcorn and be entertained out of my ass for two plus hours. You know why that didn't factor into my discussion just now? Because you don't give a fuck? (laughs) No, because I have said from the jump on this pod, in articles, in Twitter, that I don't think Dune is going to be a commercial success. I've never been high on its box office prospects. But for me, Brandon Katz, the critic and fan, I am extremely excited to see it. I love the filmmaker. I love the, the, the crew. I love the cast. And hearing almost overwhelmingly positive reactions from fellow professional critics, I was thrilled, but I have never thought this movie was always an uphill box office prospect. And that hasn't changed. I I think it's going to help that it's going to be a dual release on HBO max for sure. Because if it garners good viewership there, it'll mitigate some of the ticket sales losses that it is looking like it may be. Here's what, here's the key. They need like the word of mouth from the people to do well. If they start recently, general audiences need to more or less embrace. That doesn't mean widespread five hundred million dollars a year. Exactly, just just people being wow. I did not expect that to be so good. You got to go see it. If they could get those wheels turning, then I think they'll be in good shape. But until then, just the general vibe made me more worried than I had been. See, I'm I'm more excited because it's right up my fucking alley. I'm excited for us by all means. We'll, yeah. We will break that shit down in depth on the podcast and people who are people who want to like it are going to like it. I'm saying, is it going to be able to surprise people who are giving Dune a chance because it looks sweet? I, I, I don't know. I, I still don't think, you know, I, I think if it crosses 300 million, they're going to be doing cartwheels at Warner brothers. Out of 300 million. Yeah, I think they'll be doing cartwheels. I don't, I, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, that would be, wouldn't that be more than? So it'd be more than Blade Runner 2049. And I think overperforming relative to what smart people expect. Yeah, so they would be doing cartwheels. Chan- I don't think there's a chance in hell. Uh, let's move into the quick hitters. First teaser for Netflix is Don't Look Up, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, and a host of other A-listers. Uh, listen, I really, really like the big short. I am a defender of vice from Adam McKay, the writer and director. I'm super stoked for don't look up. I think it looks Leo comedy roles. I love it. This would technically make two back to back. I think you you could argue that Rick Dalton is more of a comedy role than drama. It's fantastic. Wolf of Wall Street was hysterical gonzo performance. Right, 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 right. Yeah. A secret invasion has finally begun filming, like you said recently, kind of kind of being slept on in the grand MCU scheme. Absolutely. So that'll be fun. They could fucking flip the whole thing on its head in one show yeah. with that one right there. Warrior director Gavin O'Connor is rebooting the concept as a series. I'm against this specifically because the original writer of Warrior has been completely cut out of the process. And 
basically not invited to the table, even though he's yeah, the one who bullshit. created that. Yeah, I hate when how it's so easy for Hollywood to cut people out of participation, profit, and creative wise. Mm. Bob Odenkirk is back on the set of Better Call Saul as the sixth and final season resumes filming. He suffered a mild heart attack a few months ago. Really great to see him back on his feet, doing well. Great guy, talented guy. Love the show. Best news of the week right there. Absolutely. Andrew Garfield on the Spider-Man No Way Home rumors. Quote, on the record, this is not something I'm aware I am involved in. I know I'm not going to be able to say anything that will convince anyone that I don't know what's happening. No matter what I say, I am fucked. I just think it's so funny how bad this guy is at lying. It's absolutely incredible. I, it, this is not something I'm aware I'm involved in. That sounds like some shit your lawyer would have you say. Like, if you say, I do not recall, you can't technically be held responsible. You know what I mean? Like, dude, I, if I'm him, I'm just going, no comment. Just give up, man. Honestly, <laughs> just stop trying to fucking lie about it. It's the Dave Chappelle, I plead the fifth situation. Yeah, right, exactly. He's got to take that up. A word out of the Telluride Film Festival from The Hollywood Reporter, The Ringers, and others say that Will Smith is the early favorite for best actor for his performance in King Richard. Super talented guy who has been circulating Oscars before, circling Oscars before. He's got, I think, two nominations on his belt. This could be the one. I think in the case, just like it was with Brad Pitt, they, as in the Academy, is going to see this as a chance that they simply cannot pass up. It's going to be exciting. It's He plays the father of Venus and Serena Williams, and uh, apparently the movie is not your standard biopic. It's, it's better than that, which I'm excited about. Yeah. And then finally, Baby Yoda will have a balloon at this year's Macy's Thanksgiving Parade because hashtag culture. Yeah, fuck yeah. I'm into it, Eric. I'm into it, Baby Yoda. Hashtag culture. <laughs> All right, let us move on into our big thoughts about what if... This is really Eric's segment because he is deep diving and doing good analysis. Well, I'm not even going to, thank you, Brandon, but I'm not even going to deep dive. I think that, you know, there is not much meat on the bones in terms of what we like to talk about on this show. I think this week was the ultimate case of that. People saying that this week was their favorite so far. Like I get it, but you and I, we talk about this in all, in all contexts. Even And this is how TV has moved towards in the last 10, 20 years. We prefer a serialized story. Yep. Chamber pieces, just especially in the time constraint and the visual format in, in which it comes, just makes it hard for us to dig in. Now, that said, the one with Doctor Strange, which sort of like it broke the fourth wall between him and Watcher. Doctor Strange is an inherently multiversal character, yeah. so the idea of them crossing paths in the future sort of ties it to the MCU at large. But in general, they've just been one-off fun stories, and that's fine. It is uh, fine, but like like you just said, the the half-hour animated anthology, to me, if, if you're not a Twilight Zone, it's just a very limiting format overall, yeah. even though I'm having fun with what Even is. as a cartoon. I mean, yeah. I think that the cartoon is even a, big, uh, a, a bigger roadblock than the time format. But I do have a few quick thoughts. I think it was interesting how Hank Pym and, and his tech has been at the crux of two of them. I just think they've done a good job of highlighting how sort of actually low-key powerful Ant-Man and the Wasp are, and I really yeah. enjoy that. Could the quantum realm virus be a factor going forward? Maybe not as so far as it goes to with turn zombies, them into zombies. But in mutant genes. Yeah, but maybe like with mutant genes or 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 some other factor 
that is a surprising twist and turn on the narrative. Yes, I don't think we're going to see net zombies in live action MCU anytime no, soon. No, no, no. But I was just saying the quantum realm virus as a concept. Like, yeah. y- you can't stay down there for too long or you'll get sick, you know? Like, that, yeah. that's sort of... Uh, I'm not sure if that's a Chekhov's gun, but you get the point. I think it's always fun to see new combos and team-ups, so that was cool. Yeah. Once again even though he wasn't really there, Dr. Strange's cape, just showing how fucking dope he is. You know what I mean? Just the doctor. And VP. Yeah, just the best. Um, I thought it was the funniest one yet, even though it was also kind of, well, no, it definitely wasn't the darkest in terms of actual thematic narrative because the Dr. Strange one, I think, was way darker on like a human level. This was darker in like a genre level, I guess. But I also thought it was the funniest, which was a a nice little... um, contrast and then i i wrote down here and brandon i didn't actually think it was laguardia uh laguardia but i just didn't know what it was so i wrote that down scott lang i believe says wimgardia uh, i'm gonna fuck this up anyway wimgardia is it really wimgardium are you sure yeah so so eric here wrote in the notes and he says he doesn't know it, but he thought the harry potter quote was laguardia leviosa like no, no, he's such no, a no, tri no. i didn't think it was LaGuardia. I know, but you wrote that and it's wingardium leviosa not leviosa so, leviosa so he does say that right yeah he quotes harry potter so what kind of fucking multiversal cross franchise link is that that's kind of wild i think it's understandable that harry potter exists within outside MCU. of the film yeah because I'm pretty sure they also in Falcon and Winter Soldier talk about Gandalf. Right. But Lord of the Rings is right? different because, yeah, I guess. But Lord of the Rings had existed since like the 1920s. But I guess that's a good comp. You're right. Okay. Yeah, the pop culture exists. It's, it's fucking, like uh, fucking wizards, man. Yeah, Doctor Strange, Harry Potter, Gandalf. I would love to listen. Warner Brothers and Disney get together, get on some collab shit. But, Come uh, on, guys. Oh, do you really want that? Uh, Harry Potter to crossover? No, no not really. You really but want more homogenization of studios? I, I think Marvel versus DC at some point in the distant future would be cool, but yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, but once we're at that point, they're just going to be beaming that shit directly into our brains. Speaking yeah, of which, like, uh, the Matrix. Batman Forever. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, the Matrix 4. We got our first trailer for the Matrix Resurrections today, and uh, Eric, you and I have been joking that we're more hyped for this than No Way Home. So as you wrote here, it's only right that we give it the same respect in terms of a deep dive breakdown. We're going to run through all the major beats of Look, the trailer. Brandon, I know that we talk a lot of shit on this podcast, but we got to walk the walk too, son. You know? A hundred percent. We're about to put our money where our mouths are. The trailer opens in what looks to be modern day San Francisco, but we're not sure when exactly this takes place. We also don't know if this is a new version of the Matrix following the events of the Matrix Revolutions. Is it the same iteration that the original trilogy came from? Is it something completely different? Because as the architect revealed in Reloaded, there have been seven incarnations of the Matrix, and a version of the one has only appeared in five of those iterations. And this may be a new one, may not. We don't know, Eric. Sorry, he says that there are six, so that would make this the seventh. Oh, okay. So there are six as of Reloaded? Yes, because I actually just watched that last night, uh, which I still think it goes hard. Even though 15 years later, I still don't get the plot. (laughs) But but sometimes you just got to say, fuck the plot. Um, 100%. I agree. And So I think a good place to start is the last time we saw our hero. He was seemingly killed in Machine City, 
with the machines sort of carrying his body away because they like brokered a peace deal because the Smiths had, had run wild and were going to destroy the Matrix and the real world for some reason. Classic Smiths. Because reasons, because anger. I don't know. <laughs> um, but while he, while his body, while they infer that he dies, the Oracle says to Sati, I believe is her name, yeah, in, the newly, in the newly rebooted Matrix that she believes we will see him again. So uh, immediately my brain starts to think, okay, they left the door open. Now, my working theory, which I will sort of lay out throughout the entirety of this podcast, is that I think they took and they showed photos that I'm going to actually share screen with you to give you an, an idea of this theory I've got here. This multimedia theory over here. I love that it. I think that he didn't die. No shit. Uh, and that the machines plugged him into a siloed matrix in order to keep him away from mankind and therefore stop him from being their savior. So that is sort of where I'm at right now in terms of the plot. Now, in terms of the look, the aesthetic is totally different than the first three, but I think that's the point kind of, right? The yes. original three had a very distinct visual style with its muted industrial green tones, very steampunk-esque. But that's how the 90s were. The Matrix now looks like it's being shot through an Instagram filter, which is how our world is now. So it's only, it's only logical to update the visual aesthetic of the technology because technology has updated. You know, back then we were talking modems and dial-up and wires and hardware. Now it's the age of Bluetooth and social media and filters. So I think that the look, while a choice, I think thematically and narratively, it makes sense. Yeah, I was going to mention the same thing about the lenses. They have completely updated and modernized the actual aesthetic of the Matrix, which, like you said, only makes sense as culture changes, as technology changes. It is reflective of the developing times. To your theory, I also agree because we have now seen of the seven iterations or of the six iterations, the one is an inevitability in, si in six of them. So uh, in five out of the six. My theory is that he wasn't in the first one, the utopia that then collapsed in on itself and they realized that you needed conflict for humans to survive. And then he became an inevitability. So now that the machines know within the equation that the architect was talking about that the anomaly of the one is inescapable, putting him in a silo matrix, basically babysitting him in a walled off garden is the only way to control the anomaly. It mm -hmm. is the best solution to a difficult problem from the machine's perspective if you can't cause much damage here if you can't kill him join him not exactly yes. but sort of like we we cannot get rid of him so we may as well ah you cannot be stopped you could only hope to contain him and that's yeah. sort of what they're doing here and we'll get to it but i'm assuming jonathan groff's character is basically his babysitter program mm, that's what okay. it seems like to me all right we then see thomas anderson notably not neo with his therapist, played by Neil Patrick Harris. There is a collection of blue pills on his desk and a black cat, both references to the original Matrix's conformity and the glitches of deja vu. NPH's glasses also match the color of the pills. And on his bookcase, he has the book Blank Slate, The Modern Denial of Human Nature sitting on it, keying <laughs> us in on Neo's own reality skepticism overall. Thoughts? Thoughts? 
thoughts. Uh, again, I think these are all subtle inferences to a fake world. I think the therapist is a is absolutely a program because he's an absolute condescending prick. Yeah, who's, who's color coded to match the matrix? Yeah, basically. well, I I think that there's a few things here. Just because you're a program doesn't necessarily mean that you're evil. And I, and I think no, Satif those... was a was a program. So right, right. That's it. We got. We, exactly. we're gonna, someone tell us how to pronounce that. Fucking so, name. do you think Jonathan Groff's character and Neil's because they're sort of two halves of the same coin? It feels like one looks like his therapist, while Groff, like he's in this office, could almost be like a boss type figure. I'm curious if those are, as you said, the two babysitter programs that have been. One keeps him under control at work and one keeps him under control during his life that have been put in place to sort of contain him. Yeah, uh, I got to believe there's a connection between the two. And, and I got to believe they're for the ones force feeding him blue pills that dull either his memory or his abilities or both. And then on the cat, it's a suggestion, as this trailer does a lot, where it references the OG films that perhaps the matrix is starting again from scratch like that like that cat uh could be the same ever, one exactly the same so maybe neo is going to be meta aware of like the matrix events like he's going to almost have an out of body experience watching the matrix plot unfold again and know like oh i've done this before and then do it again <laughs> in a in a different way you know what i mean yeah, and I, it does look, and we will, again, run through all of this, and I'll touch on my other point later as well. It does look like the Matrix 4 could get extremely meta, which to me has a lot of upside and a whole lot of downsides potentially mm. as well. Mm. And that can easily go awry. Either way, it's going to be kind of a big, beautiful mess. But my my concern, and I want to put this up front because we're going to talk about this trailer so much and all of the references and allusions to the original Matrix. I don't want this to be a retread of the first matrix because thomas anderson discovering he's neo and discovering the truth of his reality is the exact same plot as the first movie and like them or not the matrix sweet sequels branched out into new territory i am hoping the matrix 4 isn't a slightly altered version of that same story of him for lack of a better but don't word, you think awakened. the context of them telling us in reloaded that the matrix happens over over again wouldn't that plot wise make more sense than it would in let's say the shit that they pulled with um a new hope and um the force awakens and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I still like the force awakens overall but i do understand the criticisms of this beat by beat remake i understand the cyclical nature of the in-universe matrix but at the same time you are not so beholden to the, your own strict canon that mm. you can't make a good film. I'm not going to give them a pass for regurgitating a very similar overarching concept just because, oh, it makes sense because this is the seventh right. version. You right. know, well, I will, film. I will just say to you, if there is one director that I could trust to stick to their guns when it comes to an original idea, it is the, well, not the, since it's just one of them, but it is Wachowski. You know what I mean? Yeah. They are, for better and for worse, aggressively original. So yes, they, again, she, it's just one of them. I believe Lana. Yeah. Um, she strikes me as somebody that wouldn't just be doing this for the sake of, oh, let's just bring it back to cash in. I would hope that her idea to her is original and new. I agree. And I don't necessarily expect that. 
But because we're going to talk about this trailer, there are a lot of references and allusions and, mm. and parallels to the first film. That is my, why it's my mm. only concern, but not necessarily a route I think is guaranteed at this point. We've seen mm. one teaser who can make that, that claim just yet. All right, from here, this version of Neo, as we just discussed a little bit, is unaware of the original trilogy's life and exploits. So he's either forgotten what happened and been reinserted into the Matrix by the machines after the third film, or he's a new iteration in a new version of the Matrix or something else. We, we just don't know, Eric. But this Thomas Anderson tells his therapist he's been having vivid visions that he does not consider dreams at all. And we quickly see him walking through the street that then becomes the famous running green code of the Matrix. Uh, NPH accuses him of being, quote, triggered, which is definitely a, a deliberate word choice right there. And I think the question here, like we, like we just talked about, is NPH's blue-clad therapist merely a program meant to keep Neo from realizing the truth? And how has Neo potentially been resurre resurrected or mind-wiped? This is where the questions start flooding in to a plot-thin teaser, as the teasers are designed. Then we are hit with a quick flood of rapid-fire images. There's a bearded man shooting at Keanu who has Matrix code running through his eyes. We get some nifty bullet time with Neo trying to catch fired shots and clearly regaining his powers at some point in the movie. There's a succession of shots that feature the human battery fields and the metallic bugs that we saw in previous versions, indicating that the truce, truce reached in the third film between machines and mankind has either been broken or erased. Uh, we see a, a machine that appears to be operating on Neo's body and notably a younger body, but for what purposes remains to be seen. Uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II is seen looking very much like a young Morpheus, though that is not officially confirmed. He's firing guns. Then we get a shot of two hands clasping together and light shining from within. And that'll be more important in a moment. We also get a familiar look at a leather-clad trinity with the slick back hair being approached from behind, much like how we met her in the first film. She's sitting by an old rotary phone, which is how they traveled in and out of the Matrix back in the originals, now with digital... Uh, the digital society does look like more of the liquid mirrors and whatnot are going to be in use. Uh, then we get another shot seemingly pulled from the 1999 film, Neo waking up from the Matrix in his little battery pod. And then this time his capsule is side by side to another. So a, a lot of rapid fire imagery with a lot of information conveyance quickly. It's hard to decipher, but you know, doing the, the shot by shot breakdown, we get a little bit of a, an idea and clues as to what they might be trying to go for. Which you think are? Which I think potentially the side by side capsule is him and Trinity together. Maybe Agreed. they've both been reborn, resurrected, reinserted, whatever the terminology is, whatever the actual execution of that course, clearly the machines have a plan for both of them, I think. And I think they are setting up Eric's favorite trope, sci-fi love. Their romance is what is perhaps breaking the Matrix code because they are destined, whereas none of the other ones really had that connection. And ultimately, love is what makes us the most human. So that's mm. how you kind of break the hold the machines have on us. That is the rough outline I'm getting. So I, I frame by frame pause these quick fire shots. And here's where I'm going to hit you share screen. Um, oh, I love it. Guys, this, okay. is, this is new territory for post-cred pod. I'm real excited. Well, because uh, I just think, because to me, the whole the whole body thing is what is is what's key here now. Okay, so- You mean uh, Neo's body? Correct. Okay, cool. And they fixed his eyes. Well, but they show a few shots of his eyes still burned. 
Yeah, so they fix Inga's eyes because then they show him waking up from the pod. So, in a here's, hours. so here's the first one. Yeah. And this and this one tells me that my theory of them taking his body at the end of three and plugging it sort of into a new matrix tracks because yeah, and him not being dead, which I always thought yeah, for a decade. Obviously, they're sustaining him. It appears like they're doing some work on him. The next one, you get a further close-up and you see that his eyes are burnt out still. So this Neo is the one that we last saw. The robots have him. They're doing all sorts of whatever tests. But this plays to my theory that they're the one not holding him. Actually, yeah, holding him hostage to keep him away from the main matrix. But then we get get an image of him now with eyeballs waking up, sort of coming out of that uh, pod goo. I think that Neo and Trinity's consciousness... Like they saved them both, right? They extracted yeah. their con- their consciousness out of their bodies, put them in this siloed matrix. The humans, Yaha, Henwick, they're trying to get their consciousnesses out of the machine siloed matrix into their new one. Then once they're in the general humanity matrix, they could upload their old consciousnesses into new bodies. It's a little bit Inception, dream within a dream, matrix within a matrix. Let's escape from all this shit. And I think that that is clued in by the visual tone of it. When they're in that train scene, the bright colors of the world seem so different from some of the shots that they show it. Like just they're showing two worlds, right? But neither of those worlds are the post- apocalyptic one that we had come to know so that leads me to the conclusion that we're seeing two different forms of the matrix it's a sub program that they've trapped in there almost like exactly almost like the train station uh just a little a little bit more expansive technically it is they couldn't find neo in the matrix once uh when he was in the train because he was hidden from their programming right exactly yeah and I think that makes sense. That, but I think the, the key is that the, the reason that they're the reason that they're trying to get them out of there is because they could put them back into their new bodies. And as we last saw Neo in the real world, he had the force in the real world now too. So that's why they like it's sort of. I mean, it's in the fucking title, but they are trying to resurrect their consciousnesses <laughs> into new vessels. I think that makes sense. All right, Neo and Trinity then meet cute in a coffee shop and she's asked if they've met before. Neither can place the familiarity flowing between them and we get a new version of the handshake shot we just got from Neo's dream. Then Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit begins to play. It's an obvious but very effective musical cue inspired by Alice in Wonderland. The next shot sees Neo taking a bubble bath with a rubber ducky on top of his head because why not? He's probably you know thinking, hey man, I met a cute girl today. Uh, let's just quickly stop here. Trinity, unlike Neo, definitively dies in the Matrix Revolution. We know for a fact she is fucking dead because she dies right in front of him. Her life force goes out. The, the green lights, you know, go dim. So should we start speculating randomly on how she's here and what's going on? I like the idea of their love story sort of being the MacGuffin that gets him back into the thick of things. But as you said, she did die. So if she's a program, who sent her there and who is tempting to coax him out? That's part of my theory. Neo is siloed off in this trapped off world. Fucking Morpheus and Henwick's character like uploaded a Trinity program into that world. That wakes him up. Then they tell him, hey, come with us. 
They go with, he, he follows them back into their main matrix. And then from there, they say, hey, she's still out there. We have her as a program. We can now upload her into a, a new body. I think that oh. her, she's a program not from the machines, but from the good guys. Why on earth would the robots write that in? They all, like, you would think that they learned the last time why they should not do that. So I think <laughs> it is a human uploaded program designed to wake Neo up, put a carrot in front of his face, hint, hint, rabbit, get him back in the game, resurrect her, and then maybe him. I mean, I'm not like the showing two different Neo bodies, one with eyes and one no eyes has sort of confused me in terms of in terms of how they're going to resurrect him. But in terms of how they're going to resurrect her, I think that they figured out a way to upload a program into a body. Yeah, I do believe later images in this trailer lend credence to the theory that she's probably a program in that meet cute coffee shop matrix and that she may very well be coming back in corporeal physical form in another manner later, later in this movie. Yep. I, I agree. All right, Neo's seen swallowing a lot of blue pills, then he throws them or he dumps them all in his sink. Again, like we said, I'm, the theory is that these pills are probably suppressing his memory and abilities to a degree. We then cut to him in a crowded elevator and every person besides him is glued to a screen or a device of some sort. Again, social commentary on our smartphone obsessed, obsessed culture. They are modernizing the cultural observations and themes from the Y2K origins, which makes sense. I think it's going to play more into the plot than we may even give them credit for. Well, you had brought up how you were curious to see how they modernize the general conceit. So this is yeah. right up your alley. Absolutely. And again, they're probably not going to be using rotary phones as much as they were in 1999. Well, and I think the smartphone-ness of it all also could tie into the self-references to the Matrix films. I think that the meta-ness of the smartphone aspect of the plot will sort of also tie into how the Matrix is being referenced in the plot as well. Like, I think that those are both two one in the same sort of meta plot threads. Definitely. I mean, the original Matrix trilogy was about the machines' real-world control over humanity being blanketed in, secre in secrecy. The Matrix was their cover. Now in the Matrix Resurrections, which may or may not be set in more modern iPhone times, seems to make that implicit threat overt. You know, we are obsessed with tech today, and that is bleeding through into our fictional world and the way they could probably control us. So I do think it's a little bit of a, a nifty turn right there. Uh, Neo then enters a cafe and sees a woman reading Alice in Wonderland, the parallel again used in the original films with Neo substituting for Alice going down the rabbit hole. We see Priyanka Chopra's character who is- Wow, well done. Is that is that how you pronounce it? I hope uh, it, it sounds is. right. I think it is Priyanka Chopra. Uh, so she's unnamed officially, but- Again, perhaps playing an older version of Sati, a new version of the Oracle, or maybe both, because it did seem like the Oracle was mentoring her in revolutions to maybe take her place. Now, Sati is a program. We know that. But as we've seen, the programs can outperform their original programming, you know? Wasn't the Oracle a Correct. program too? Correct. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. So I, I think I like that, that would be cool. Yeah. And her glasses are tinted red. So we kind of get the, the counter imagery of a lot of the other earlier characters. We then see Neo standing in front of a mirror and his figure changes from this kind of older, more uh, heavy set older man to the Keanu Reeves that we know. Maybe this Keanu Reeves isn't the original Neo at all. Maybe again, it is this kind of choppy programming in a siloed matrix. 
maybe they're rebooting someone else into the Neo body. I don't know, but it was just an interesting little twist and turn. Yeah, here I think a, a key component is that when she leads him through those door, neither of the worlds, point A or point B, seem to be the quote-unquote post-apocalyptic real world. So if that's the case, what is point A and what is point B? And exactly. that is where my theory stems from. It seems Keymaker-esque, their, their newfound travel. Uh, then maybe Morpheus, played by Yaya Abdul-Mateen. Maybe, I, come on. I am actually going on record here and saying I think he is either the son or grandson of Jada Pinkett Smith and Lawrence Fishburne. I think that's what it's going to be. I think there's going to be a, a time jump of sorts that we're not quite getting. Oh, see, my theory differs. I think uh, 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 young Morpheus is obvious. That's probably the right one. I, I, but I think maybe there might be some fuckery going on. Well, here's why I think you're wrong, good sir, even though I do kind of like that theory a lot. I think that the reason that Yaha is playing a young version is because he exists inside of the new rebooted Matrix, while Neo's consciousness and Trinity's, while they're, since they've been trapped all this time, siloed off, they remain their old consciousnesses, and that's why they've aged. I think that makes sense. And I think we've seen in-universe examples where the Oracle changed uh, figures because sadly the original actress passed away. But within that iteration of the Matrix, they explain that you could basically change your entire per person and, and look. I Again, I think it's the most obvious answer and the right one. But I don't know why you bring back Jada Pinkett Smith, who, who's great. I love her. She is a star. It makes mm. sense to bring her back. But I just think there's more emotional connection going on that he's potentially. Good point. But you're also right. He's probably young Morpheus or just a different Morpheus. Yeah. But he offers Neo a red pill and says, it's time to fly, which just flat out cool fucking line. And Yaya says it really coolly. Yeah, he's dripping swag in this yeah. whole fucking trailer. He speaking looks like he's having the most fun out of anybody. And speaking of swag, he's also wearing a red shirt, which is, again, this counter culture uh, uh, color-coded indicator, which brings up why Jessica Henwick's blue-haired character seems to be on the side of an angel's yet has the blue color coding. So we'll see if that's set in stone uh, uh, motif or if they're going to have some fluidity with it. She offers Neo the quote truth and takes him through a door of bright light. They step through the other side of a mirror into a fancy restaurant. So. Yeah. So that's, so that's my point, right? It seems like they're going from matrix a to B not real world to matrix. Yaha tells Neo quote, the only thing that matters to you is still here. I believe the thing obviously is Trinity and the yeah. here is the rebooted matrix. Morpheus is trying to convince Neo instead of entering the real world from the matrix, like he did in the first one to come from another matrix to his. And in this one, Trinity can be found as he says, she's still here. That program that they use to sort of coax him out could have been a teaser of sorts. And that, that is sort of the catalyst for him rejoining the fight. Yeah, and, and to your earlier point, we see them in this sort of romantic embrace and we see Matrix Code running down Trinity's face. You know, is she just another program in that world? Is more And she also seems to be frozen in time too. She doesn't seem to be moving. So it, it's a very interesting dynamic. And I think it lends credence to our multi-matrix siloed walled garden theory and we're going to come up with are a you on better... board with that now is that now our theory uh, yeah i think it makes a ton of sense i mean even from this it just seemed like okay they are deliberately keeping him in a haze to yeah. to contain like you said i i think that from the jump that trailer is angling at that for sure 100 mm. percent mm. 
Uh, so then Neo and Yaya Abdul-Mateen's character train together in a dojo, much like the originals. And here he seems to unlock his uncanny one powers, again, like the original film. We then see a shot of Machine City alive and well, sadly, and Jessica Henwick's character <laughs> facing off against some agents in some acrobatic ass-kicking sequences. Here was just a, a nice example of A, the Wachowski's world-building imagery, which is always effective, and just really cool-looking action, which is what they're kind of known for. We then see an out-of-focus enemy holding a gun. To me, he looks like the outline, the silhouette of Jonathan Groff's character, but we don't know. Whoever it is, the shooter brings Neo It to also his... looks like an office-esque setting, which is where we see that character. I wonder, too, if Thomas Anderson is still a programmer. San Francisco, you know, like the Silicon Valley and everything. Yeah, I'm curious to see what day-to-day job they have him doing. Yeah. Then we see police storm a theater that is playing scenes from the Matrix in the background, but it also seems to be a room that's being converted to like this high-tech research office as well. So my guess is this has to do with Neo's memory lapses. Maybe they're trying to jumpstart his synapses to kind of reinsert, hey, remember your previous life? It was fucking nuts, dude. Here it is. <laughs> they're, they're basically Loki TVA downloading his Yeah, his I, Yeah, that, I, think that's, I think that's a better call than it being a meta reference within the world. It more being sort of a reboot inside of his own mind way, makes way more sense. Now, at this point, the trailer cranks up the dial to full-on action montage, which I really liked. Quick bursts of hand-to-hand combat, lots of shootouts, agents running around, all manner of badassery. Uh, Trinity in the coffee shop, or what seems to be the coffee shop, she cries out in anguish, which appears to glitch the Matrix a bit. There's multiple copies of her all of a sudden. We get even more liquid mirrors with Yaya's character touching a malleable pane of glass in a bathroom, much to his shock. Perhaps we're getting a flashback origin story for maybe Morpheus. I don't know. My one thought, too, about Trinity kind of glitching the Matrix, what if they flipped the script a little bit? And yeah, sure, Neo still has all the powers. But what if Trinity in the ones where she can be resurrected is actually going to be the one this time around? Well, because if she's the one that's brought back to life, I mean, and the one always had a very Jesus homage to it. So that, that would track. Since she's the one we know is dead. And- or, but as you said, perhaps it's sort of a symbiotic relationship. The stronger she becomes, the stronger he becomes. Or the more, the more aware they become of each other and, the, and their past lives, the stronger they become. There's also something poetic, thematically, about the two being the one. Together, right. they can unlock everything, mm. not apart. We uh, then get a rotating hallway fight scene alert, which so great Lana Wachowski mixed with Christopher Nolan equals fun times for sure. Maybe Morpheus and Jessica Henwick's characters appear to be fighting agents. Then we get Keanu and Henwick leaping out of a skyscraper just as the Matrix turns to green code. Then we get those damn Neo Trinity handshakes again. They are echoing immense power here. We say see light engulf them after their hands meet, and they send a surrounding enemy horde just hurtling backward in a blast of power. So, like we've been saying, true love conquers all, and all that good stuff. Uh, we see a badass car chase that follows, and then we end this trailer with our first actual real good look at Jonathan Groff's black-clad character saying Neo is going back to where it all began, the Matrix. To me, he very much looks like a villain, perhaps an agent, maybe a new architect. Either way, he looks like an asshole. And that is the ending note of the trailer. 100%. Real quick on that hallway scene, 
Morpheus is wearing a black suit and tie dressed up as an agent. So I'm wondering, because that's something we never saw him wear before. He was always in his traditional garb. Could we be getting a Finn in Star Wars type vibe where he was a bad guy turned good? Is he working undercover? Is this an origin story? So I think more so, I mean, that scene was probably the coolest bit of action, I thought. But in terms of plot wise, his outfit says a lot there. And earlier he was wearing red too, mixing with that color-coded motif. Yeah. Also, we've never seen a black agent. That'd be cool. Right, exactly. All right, you want to move on to our awards and categories? Get this, Brad. The Red Pill Award for the real MVP. I'm going with the new teaser overall because this legacy sequel teaser is a visual buffet of slick aesthetics, eye-popping imagery, and action-packed fluidity. We have no idea what the fuck is going on. We have no idea what the plot is. None of our questions are answered. But it looks damn good, doesn't it, Eric? Wouldn't you just say from a a pure aesthetic standpoint? Well, well, I will get to that soon. Oof, oof. Wow, okay. We got some conflict here on the post-cred pod. Mm. Uh, For me, I'm going with Keanu Reeves' star power. As I've said a lot on the show, I think it's the only reason that this film got made or more so got it over the line of getting made. Like, who knows? Lana could have been trying to pitch this for the last 10 years, but now that Reeves is a bonafide star again, Warner Bros. saw the project in a whole new light. And then B, I'm going with the marketing. I had said a few weeks ago, I wondered if Warner Bros. missed a chance to capitalize on the CinemaCon hype, but not only rolling out teasers a few days before, but rolling it out in a viral marketing fashion. Wait, like which revived did, the original website. Like they did 20 years ago, reignited the conversation ahead of the trailer, which is what I argued was a positive for the No Way Home trailer. The leak got people talking, and then the next day, bang, it was there. So rolling out this website, getting people excited for it, and then dropping the the real trailer was a genius move. Absolutely, I agree. All right, the Matrix Revolutions Award for the worst performance. I'm going with humanity for trusting the machines not to immediately re-enslave them after striking a truce in Matrix 3. Guys, you can't trust a toaster. How many movies do we have to see until we just accept that? <sighs> Um, that's a great point, but it is in our nature. It's true. Um, I'm not going to, so here's my point here. Uh, I'm not going to judge a film by its trailer, but some of the editing and the CGI is concerning. What made the combat in the OGs so sick was the combination of choreography and minimal camera cutting. I'm not sure I saw either of those things in this trailer. I, I think you're jumping the gun a bit. I understand what you're saying, but it is a teaser trailer, so it's naturally just going to be cut up. I bet there's going to be long takes of fighting. And I, I, my point was more towards the cinematography and the color grading yes, scale. Yes, that I'm on And board the angles, with. yeah. Yes, More sure. so than, you know, wasn't that like a cool bit? Yeah, but there was like a, a shot of like Keanu running through the hallway and like fire explodes behind him and he jumps with his arms up and something about it just looked a bit cheap to me. I, I will say too, and I think this is prevalent in most movies, the older action stars get, the less re-believable, the more cheesy, the more achy yeah, but this the, the, is, this the action is the, looks. But this is Keanu Reeves, who's been yeah. rattling off John Wick films for the last that's, five years. That's true, but you know, hey man, he's he's I think he's 56 or something. Yeah. You know, I, I but but yeah, we'll say King. The Morpheus Award for the best performance by anyone except the lead actor. Maybe not the best performance because it's a teaser trailer, but I am totally here for the blockbuster breakout of Jessica Henwick. She was the clear MVP of the shitty Iron Fist. 
I think she's talented. She's she's a good action star. I'm excited to see her get a level up in the kind of Hollywood mm. ecosystem. Yeah, I have her as well, but more so the character who looks like she's going to be key to the plot. I'm yeah. going with Yaha, who looks like he's just having a fucking blast. And then I'm going with Keanu's beard, long hair, and beanie. Just his general hipster vibe. Totally dig it. 100%. And also totally fits with what the modern Matrix might be for a it is, though, software guy. And, you know... Uh, I thought today, like, why didn't he just cut his hair for this? Like, why are they giving him the John Wick? Because that's distracting. It is. People know that look as John Wick now. You know what I mean? But then I realized, like, oh, fuck. It'll probably take him two years to grow that hair back out. Like, he literally can't do that. You know? Like, that is part of it. So... And also as a legacy sequel long in the making with a star who's now, like you said, more popular than ever, just fuck it. Like, let him just be comfortable, you know? We can, right. we can write around that. <laughs> right, right, right. And we saw him clean shaven and shaved uh, with, with the Matrix, the, the real world Matrix scenes, you know, when he's yes. waking from the pod. So yes. we'll see. Uh, the Architect Award for shit we want to explain to us more. A uh, couple questions that we just talked about. What version of the Matrix is this? Why can't Neo remember his previous life? And how the fuck is St- Trinity still in existence? Okay, for me, it's who's trying to coax Neo out of his amnesia and why are they doing it? Last time, Morpheus was straight up like, look, dog, here's the deal. Now it seems to be more of a covert slow burn, which is in direct contrast to how direct they were with him last time. So I'm curious who's doing that and why. And then I would like to know, uh, you know, I'm curious about all the sort of meta self references as you, I think you tweeted this and you said on the pod, that's the sort of move that has the potential to sink the whole thing. I think having it play as a recap in his mind, like if they're uploading a program to his brain, like here was your life, dude, instead of the matrix and the people in it at large being aware of the films. Yeah. I think your idea is much smarter because I I don't need people going up to Neo being like, yo, that, <laughs> that, that time you broke your back to dodge those bullets was sick. Like, I don't need that shit at all. Breaking the fourth wall works for Deadpool. I'm not sure that works here. Yeah. Um, so On paper, my- them existing as... I don't know what you want to call it. Maybe pop culture uh, uh, properties. Maybe you want to call it common knowledge. I don't know. But that that meta self-awareness on a widespread matrix scale on paper is just dumb. That's yeah. just what it is. It's dumb. Uh-huh. Yeah. You be dumb. All right. The time loop award, a.k.a. Rewind, rewind that real quick. I mean, you know, typical bullet time stuff. Jessica Henwick, Henwick flipping all over the place, bending gravity to her will. Neo trying to catch bullets. Like, you know, I... I it, it may have spawned a era of imitators, but it's still cool in the original Western filmmakers, because it had been a thing in Eastern cinema, come back and hit us with some familiar, awesome effects yeah. like that. Yeah. I'm going with the shot of what appears to be Trinity being reborn. Uh, the love between the pair was leaned on multiple times throughout the OG3, whether it be Oracle telling Trinity that the man she falls in love with is going to be the one, or Neo pushing the boundaries of his power by yeah. reviving Trinity Reloaded, and it seems like they're going down that route again. Whatever is going on in this film, his love for her is the key, and the suggestion that she's getting a new body sort of seems like the third act end game of this all. Uh, and then I'm going with the Inception hallway scene because that just looked fucking sick. It looked a lot, of, a lot of fun. All right, put this in the Matrix's Code Award, aka put. You that did a great music. job with these, Brandon. Thank you, buddy. Much appreciated. I was trying to follow your lead. Uh, for me, the Wachowskis' uses of lens and color tints and color coded clothing 
basically visual language of a film to convey themes, allegiances, and character information. Not only does it simplify it for us, the audience, it's just cool. It gives it a motif. It gives it a running theme that aesthetics can be used as a storytelling tool, not just dialogue or symbolism. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. This is, it does seem like the colors of this world are going to mean a lot more than they did the first time around. This is a little under the radar, but I got to say, when the score kicked in at the end, I got chills. That's Great a call. Fuck, that's a fucking dope score. And the way Great that they call. saved it. Yeah, the way that they saved it for the way ends. Mm, love that, man. Chef's kiss. Yeah, right, exactly. All right, the Time to Fly Award, a.k.a. Best Hero Moment. Neo throwing a goddamn missile into a helicopter. That was so cool. He pushes Trinity out of the way, uses his one force powers, and just curves that fucker right into a helicopter. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, and I know that they had shot for the pandemic. They were shooting shit on those buildings. So there is some practical cool. work there as well. I don't think they showed this clip in the main trailer, but it was in sort of those teasers that they mm-hmm. rolled out. And it's when Keanu is on the street bike riding through chaos and he uses the force to like stop and crush an oncoming car. So fucking sick, dude. It's really cool. And I also just quickly, that reminds me like the power scaling. It's like after the first matrix where he's flying all around, you're like, oh, so he can do anything now. He's he's boring Superman to to an extent because he's invulnerable. And I thought the sequels actually well, But there a is a way job. to kill him though. There is yeah. a way to kill him. That's, yeah, that's the difference. But the thing is, he can change anything and do anything. And I'm like, okay. But I thought the sequels did a great job of complicating that narrative, then introducing, okay, he's got powers in the real world, which, again, you would think make him more invulnerable and boring, but actually raised a host of new questions that was super exciting. And I think this movie, basically him starting off from a power, a point of non-power is interesting. He's not just invulnerable from the jump. Yeah. All right, the what's okay, so Eric, what's the worst thing you can say about this teaser trailer? Uh, some of I said it before, some of the editing and CGI and the fight scenes look a bit wonky, but as you pointed out, I'm probably jumping the gun a bit. I just don't think that you know they popularized that no cutting, raw, hand to hand combat style where the two main characters are in frame trading blows, and we didn't outside of the training dojo scene really get any of that yeah. hopefully that's because they're saving it but i would hate to see them to succumb to some of the more modern um uh way of shooting with totally. quick cuts and stick to their roots and to that point matt damon just uh i believe is gq's most iconic character series said uh for the born identity, he, he was training a lot. He's basically said in action movies, when an actor, not the stuntman, can do between 15 to 20 moves, if you can get up to that consecutively without cutting, that's when you really get into that, that good professional stuff that makes it special and yeah. elevates it. And Keanu, clearly that's really difficult. Yeah, but Keanu is arguably more well-trained yeah. now than he was oh, yeah. then. And, and has a passion for martial arts in his personal life yeah. based on reports. So yeah. that's really cool. All right, for me, I think as a teaser, it's deliberately vague about the plot by design. I do get that, but it's still a little annoying that we have no idea what's going on, you know? And it's, I think, also another thing that that one I'm more willing to forgive. From a marketing standpoint, it is trying to have its cake and eat it too because WB is overtly selling it as a legacy sequel that's both something new and exciting and as a return to a familiar and successful world. So 
it, it's it's hard to split the difference and straddle that line. That's not taking away any of my excitement for it, but come on, WB, we see what you're trying to do. Hmm. All right, Eric, what's the nicest thing you could say about this trailer? That this did nothing to stop my hype train. We are full steam ahead. If anything, it's only increased my hype. I think outside of Batman, this is the film in the next six months that I'm most excited for because I genuinely believe this. If they stick the landing and it turns out to be a widely beloved, mind-blowing film, not only does it change the conversation around the franchise itself, right? Like to be able to bookend itself with two fantastic chapters would vault the franchise as a whole in both action and sci-fi. And then Keanu, if he pulls this shit off again and leads like a like a boundary-pushing action sci-fi thriller, I've been saying this for a while now. You know, Tom Cruise may have more volume of films, but when you talk about iconic characters slash films, you've got Point Break, Speed, The Matrix, and John Wick. If he's able to, like, make The Matrix relevant again on his back with two more John Wick films to come, I think he's the undeniable action star of his generation and therefore our lifetimes. You have to wonder how WB views this film. Is it a long-awaited conclusion to a beloved franchise or is it an attempt to reinvigorate interest in the series? Because you can bet your bottom dollar if it blows up and is well-liked, they're going to want some sort of fifth Matrix movie. Maybe that's with Neo, maybe that's set in a completely Absolutely. different part of the Matrix. And let me make a quick point on that. When I brought up the score kicking in the end and they reveal the title card, it doesn't say the matrix and then resurrections beneath it. It says the matrix first and then the matrix fades away and then they drop the subtitle. So it, so to that point, the idea that they're trying to soft reboot the franchise as a whole and reignite it for more films based on the way that they're titling it to make it seem like this isn't the fourth one. This is sort of like, the first one, version 2.0. Exactly. You know, give Jessica Henwick her own HBO Max spinoff if it's, a, you know, a hit or yeah, something right, like that. exactly, yeah. All right, so for me, I'd say it's a visually stunning trailer, really effective musical cues, love the throwback to the, the original song, like you said. And it's also balls to the wall, singular and weird with aesthetics and imagery. So basically exactly what I want from a fourth Matrix movie in that it could be a flaming pile of hot dark garbage dog shit, or it can be incredible. Either way, it's not going to be uninteresting. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. All right, stuff we think is cool that needs mentioning. I didn't have anything. Me either. All right, well, then that'll do it. Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> well done, WB. Dope trailer, Keanu, for just being the goddamn man. Truly. Really excited for this one. And uh, stay tuned because we'll be covering all Matrix trailers and promotional material and all of that good stuff with a bunch of theories as we head into December. What do we got in uh, the next few weeks, Brandon? What is it? September 8th? Malignant uh, comes out tomorrow, yeah. which is probably not something we'll talk about on this podcast. We got Many Saints in Newark, October 1st. Ooh, maybe we should start to do some TV content because I don't think there's any Marvel stuff between now and then other than What If, which yeah. I'm still hoping drops a bomb on our fucking foreheads because otherwise... <laughs> I'm with it. I'm with it. We'll, we'll figure out what, what the schedule oh, holds for uh, us. We, and we almost forgot. Rate, review, subscribe. We are on the march to 69 reviews. Follow us on Twitter at PostgredPod. We cross 6K, trying to Ooh. get to 10K by the end of Ooh. the year. That's going to be an uphill battle, but pressure makes diamonds. <laughs> um, follow me, Eric Italiano. That's no L, two I's. Follow Brandon at great underscore Cassidy. We will catch you all next week.
My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. 